In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. I hope your day is beautiful. I hope you have noticed that there's people in your life that love you. I hope you have taken a moment to understand that the relationships in your life are the most important things in your life. And you should work hard and you should sacrifice to make sure that you are watering those seeds and Soon they will bring forth beautiful flowers. What is going on out here? It's so crazy. Am I right? I want to give you my opinion, my understanding, however little or much that might be. I think it's worthwhile. I think you'll get a kick out of it. So here we go. We are in a very interesting time. And I want to take you back to the days of Brexit and Trump. If you remember, there was this sort of, some people call it a nationalist, but it was more of a populist revolt. It was a time when globalization was being rejected by the world. There were the riots in France, the yellow vests, and they were out on the streets. There was an ongoing migration of people from Northern Africa into Europe. There were unions out in the streets in Ireland, throughout Europe. Greece was going into default. Italy was going into default. In the United States, we had all kinds of different riots, whether it was BLM or it was Trump rallies or QAnon. Essentially, what was happening, in my opinion, was a populist wave that was wholeheartedly against globalization. The forces of globalization are actually, in my opinion, they are the types that are at the World Economic Forum, the multinational corporations. For example, I use a company like Facebook that is a U.S. company. However, they 
do their accounting in Ireland and they spread their tentacles all the way down to Africa. And in some places in Africa, they actually utilize their technology as a form of commerce. So they kind of become the de facto strongman down there. Whoever runs the money kind of runs the rules, right? That's the golden rule. So you have these multinational corporations that are have a charter protected by the United States military, but they don't pay taxes to the U.S. because they're incorporated in Ireland. So they have just found this neat way to abuse the international law and pay no taxes, be protected by some people. They just take advantage of all these different laws. And as an entity, it's a pretty intelligent thing to do. The problem with that is when all these corporations do it, a corporation is kind of like a country. They have their employees are kind of like their citizens. They have their own president or their own CEO. They make their own rules. And they're able to function without the rules of a country. They're not tied down with laws that have the ability to circumvent human rights and stuff like this. There are some like that. However, just want you to think about the similarities between multinational corporations and actual countries. Some multinationals have a higher GDP than some countries. They have more money. They have more output. They have more... Some of them probably have more people. And what we were seeing in the days of Brexit and Trump was a a populist revolt. People standing up to this world of dehumanization. And that's what globalization was. Globalization to me was a world where we transferred all the productivity, all the money from people in rich countries, from poor people in rich countries to rich people in poor countries. It's never spread evenly. The politicians, the boards of directors, the CEOs, all of these individuals got huge bonuses. All the lobbyists, all the defense contractors, they found a way to siphon money from the working class and the low-income class people in rich countries and give it to their rich friends on Wall Street and to the richer people in poor countries. And so moving forward, this is clearly an unsustainable path. We see an incredible amount of income disparity. The income wealth gap has been widening and widening. And I think partially that that income inequality was a major catalyst that caused the people to become so upset and begin rioting, being in the streets and saying no to globalization. At that point in time, when there were riots all around the world, I think that governments around the world, especially central banks, the majority of the banking system, the CEOs, boards of directors, Wall Street, all these huge corporate 
quasi-government institutions got together and said, guys, we got a problem. These people don't like it. They hate that we're hollowing out all their stuff and taking all their things. They don't like that. What are we going to do? And I think there's been kind of a split there. And this split has caused uncertainty. This split has caused problems for the global elite, for the presidents, prime ministers, the CEOs, all these corporations that I previously named in this same group of people that have used the model of financial coercion where they take money just by moving it around. They don't really do anything. They just move it from A to B and collect the interest. If you think of large sums of money like a magnet, if you move it around, it just attracts other money until it becomes a bigger and bigger sum of money. But what that magnet is doing, what that sum of money is doing, is it's collecting all the smaller magnets from all the poorer people until they have nothing. That's what's happened in Detroit. That's what's happened in all these cities around at least the United States. Like That's why you see riots in these cities. That's why you see fires. Remember all the fires that were happening in the riots? It's because these cities have been bought out. These cities have been have sold off all their assets to private corporations. Because the government is broke, they start selling their assets to private corporations, and private corporations no longer want to do what's good for the people. They want to do what's good for profits. So that means there's no real need to worry about the people. You go in there, you hollow it all out, you devastate it, and then you can build it back. That's the concept of build back better. In my opinion, what was happening with globalization that is still happening now and the premise of Build Back Better is public-private partnerships. And that is what's happened in these cities, is that the government ran out of money, they sold off all the assets, and now these corporations that own these assets are trying to come in and, and do what they want, but the people aren't having it. They're rioting. They're causing problems. They're they're upset about it. So now the corporations go to the government and say, hey, you sold us this stuff. These people are all, they're stealing everything. They're, they're not cooperative. They don't like that we've hollowed out their, their stuff. And they're fighting back. you got to do something. And that's, that's kind of where we are today. That's why, in my opinion, let me give you one more example. Let's look at the water crisis in California where I lived. I lived in San Diego, and we could drive to Palomar Mountain, which would get snow during the wintertime. And it's a beautiful mountain. You go up there, you could play, you could sled. And there was these little rest stops and stuff, and there was these little snow melts that you could see when I was a little kid. You'd go up there and be, oh, look at the snow's melting. And then, you know, there's a little aquifer under there where all the water would run down the mountain, and it would go into the ground, and from the ground it would go out into the land and down the streams and irrigate the California valleys the way it always has. However, when I was about 10 or 11, I started noticing there were these new upgrades happening to Palomar Mountain. And what they were, were these access to these wells, all this meltwater. There was these new sort of upgraded rest areas and they had these little gosh it's hard to describe they had a little station there almost like a little gas station and these trucks would come up there and they would stick their hose into this contraption and they would suck out the water 
And it wasn't just at one rest stop. It was like at 15 or 20 rest stops. What was happening is that the Nestle Corporation did a deal with California where, hey, we're going to upgrade your rest stops, but we want the water out of there. And because the state of California was having problems financially, they said, sure, no problem. Just give us a cut of it. So Nestle goes up with their trucks. They suck the water right out of the mountain, right out of the aquifer. They put it in their bottles, and they sell it back to the people at like a 2,000% markup. They give California a state cut of it. They sign some non-disclosure agreements so they don't tell the people about it. But it has huge ramifications. Not only is it unethical, not only is that the water that the taxpayers pay for, but now it's being stolen from them and sold back to them. That's another example of a private corporation feeding from the public trough. That's a public-private partnership. They privatize the profits and they socialize the losses. It's an incredibly profitable business model. The taxpayers pay for it. They come in as a middleman, steal it, and then they sell it back to you. And the government politicians are on board. They all get kickbacks for it. They say nothing about it. But it has wider ramifications. Think about all the water that no longer makes its way down the basin. Think about all the water that no longer makes it down to the local farms because it's being sucked out before it can even get there. Think about how the groundwater, the aquifer, touches the root systems of so much plant life throughout California. The water can't even get to some of the places closer down towards the ocean because it's, it's gone by then. But not for Nestle. Nestle gets all the profits. There's no jail time. There's no penalty. There's not even any mention of it. So that's the public-private partnership example that is happening not only with California water, but it's happening with natural resources across the United States. You see, if you look at places like Chicago, New York, California, a lot of the liberal-leaning states, a lot of the states that have found themselves in a financial quandary have turned to corporations for loans. And I want you to think of these corporations like loan sharks. Oh, yeah, I can give you that. But I want, this, I want this in return. I think that's what's happened with Bundy Ranch. I think the Bundy Ranch was sold to a Chinese corporation for a solar farm. And when the Chinese corporate said, okay, we're ready to build, uh, you, have these, you have this guy Bundy out here on his farm. You, we bought that from you. We need you to go there and kick him off. So they send the, the uh, ATF out there. But Bundy and his team aren't leaving. They're like, this is my land. I've owned this land forever. And the ATF is like, fuck you. We're going to kill you. Get off of here. Lucky for Bundy, he had all his guys up on a hill and there was a standoff. So guess what? That's the one people won. You see, I think it was Harry Reid that made that deal. I think it was, Lord knows it was other politicians. The politicians on this one sold public land to a private country for profit. That's part of globalization. But they don't tell the people about that because they know the people would be upset about it. So if you look close, you can see this model of public-private partnerships. And I want to just be clear. It is privatize the profits, 
socialize the losses. The same way Nestle sucks water out of your backyard and sells it back to you, multinational corporations want to do that with every single resource. And they use ideas like climate change. I, the climate is always changing. And there's a lot of problems with people cutting down trees. And I love the earth. However, the idea of climate change has been hijacked by lots of people to steal money from you and me. Let me fast forward a little bit now that we've talked about the very foundation of, of what I think has been going on. It's getting to a point now where some states are so deep in debt, they've sold all this stuff to corporations, and corporations are trying to come and collect. I think that is part of what the World Economic Forum is about. A lot of these corporations have bought private or national land and want to collect on it, and people are uprising. They're saying, no, 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 you're not going to take that. That's ours. And the ramifications of that are what we've seen for the last few years. I don't know what COVID was. I don't know if it was a lab leak. I don't know if it was a man-made thing. I don't know. And I don't think anybody thoroughly does. But what I can tell you happened for sure was an incredible divide, an incredible distraction, an epidemic that took everybody's eyes off globalization, which took everybody's eyes off the economic system. And we've moved from crisis to crisis to crisis to crisis ever since that happened. You could argue it was happening prior to that. You could say, you know, it was communism in the Cold War. And then it was terrorism after 9-11. And then it was climate change after that. But now the rate of disasters has accelerated so quickly you can't even catch your breath. COVID, vaccines, the Ukraine war, the recession. You see, it's something that happens every three months now. And when it's like a, you spin a top, right? And it's spinning, spinning, spinning. But then it begins to slowly move to the right move to the left, right before it falls down, it begins wobbling and, and having these erratic movements. And that's what I think all these crises are. It's just crisis after crisis after crisis. Because they, I believe the banking institution, the politicians, I believe what you're seeing is a failed economic system. I believe that's been the case since 08. And that is the reason we have seen this accelerated crisis slash distraction management. I believe that's why you're seeing people in their private jets going to climate change meetings, going to Davos, going to this Bilderberg meeting. The level of the wealthiest people in the world starting to meet more and more frantically. There's no real solution. And with these crises... Notice, notice that whether it's a school shooting, whether it's the Ukraine war, whether it's abortion, whether it's gun rights, every one of these crises we have is not just a crisis, it's a divisive crisis. It's a crisis to keep people divided. That is at a premium right now. 
man versus woman, white versus black, gay versus straight, abortion versus non-abortion. The people that are in our government, the multinational corporations, the World Economic Forum, I would say the banking industry, this particular group of people are going out of their way to make sure that the bottom 99% are fighting each other, that are so caught up in wedge issues that they can't stop for a minute to see how badly they're being fucked. That's the last thing that people in power want, is for you to stop and say, hey, I'm the same as these people over here. Do you really care that much about abortion when your country is stealing every dime you have? Do you care about people in Ukraine? Are you willing to send them $50 billion when your neighbors can't even afford food? When there's people living under bridges, when there's veterans that have served our country and come back and have nothing? When there's people that can't get any health care? Why would we send $50 billion to Ukraine? War is horrible, and I'm sorry for everyone over there. But I say, fuck Ukraine. Fuck them. It's our money here. We need it here. We need it for our kids. We need it for our grandparents. We need it for us. I'm more than willing to help people. But if you're on a plane and that plane is getting ready to crash, you must fix your oxygen mask before you can fix anybody else's. The $50 billion that we send to Ukraine is a giant money laundering scheme. It's being used to finance the crisis in Europe. It's being used to finance crises for the whole World Economic Forum. Europe is in a way bigger mess than we are. They're a little further down the road. And the people that run our government, the central banks, they have property, they have parts of the system that must work in Europe for our system to work over here. And that's why you're seeing money transferred from the American taxpayer to the rest of the world. It's a giant money laundering scheme. And it's this giant money scheme that I want to shift into right now. The greater economic system breakdown. I'm going to try to explain the world economy in a way in which everybody can thoroughly understand it. Think about the game of Monopoly. For those of you that don't know how to play a Monopoly, it's pretty much a board game with a bunch of different squares that your characters move around. Each square represents a property that you can buy. If you buy the property and another player lands on that property, they got to pay you rent for being there. So think about our world as a giant game of Monopoly. And in this giant game of Monopoly, every single square, every single property has been bought, being held in the hands of a few. Every time you go around go, you get 200 bucks and you get to roll the dice and, and get to go. However, because every single property on the board has been bought, the majority of people don't own property. The majority of people just play the game. They get their 200 bucks, they go to their job, they move around the board and they're constantly paying rent to the people that own the property. Well now, people playing the game can't afford to pay the rent on the property. So the government, the central banks, they decide, well, the answer to this is to give the people more money. So they give the people 
more money. Now, instead of getting 200 bucks when you pass go, you get 300. Well, the people that own the property don't like that. Okay, we will now charge an additional 100. So the bank says, okay, now we're going to give the people 400. And the people that own the property say, okay, great, now we're going to charge people 400. So there's this constant transfer of wealth from the banks essentially to the property owners. And the banks pretty much are the property owners. There's a class of people that farm, that treat working class people, the rest of the world, as if they are a cash crop. The problem with that is the people on the bottom realize it. And when people realize what's happening, they get upset. They see this closed system, this ever-widening gap, where it's almost impossible for them to own their own piece of property. Now, you can land on chance. You can roll the dice. You might get lucky. You can work hard, sacrifice, and get lucky and become one of the property owners on the game of Monopoly. It can happen. However, for the majority of people, it will never, ever happen. And when there's no hope, there's no choice. And when there's no choice, you get violent revolution. So I want you to think about this. Here's this game of Monopoly. All the pieces have been bought up. All these squares, the Marvin Gardens, the St. James Place, all of these places, Boardwalk, Park Place, Pennsylvania Avenue, the railroads, every one of them have been bought up. And when the owner dies, he just passes it to his family. And so if you were not lucky enough to have bought a piece of property a hundred years ago when the game started, then the chances of you getting a piece of property, while possible, are limited. The amount of work and sacrifice and luck involved in it is vastly higher than it was a hundred years ago. It's still possible. You can get a spot on the board, but you must sacrifice. You must work harder than everyone. And on top of that, you must be lucky. You can't choose your parents. So let's talk about the people trying to play the game. It doesn't matter how much money the bank gives them, whether it's a universal basic income or whether it's 200, 300, 400, 500, 800, 1,000. It doesn't matter how much money the bank gives the people because the people that own the property, the people that own the corporations, the people that own the businesses, they're working with the banks. So they're the same people. There is no social mobility. If you play the game, you can't buy property, you will never be at the level that the people that own the property are. This is a radical environment for revolt. There's a great quote I heard. It said, when there's no social mobility, the only mobility in your life is fictitious. When there is no social mobility in society, 
the only social mobility is fictitious. And the reality that you present to the world is a false reality. It's an illusion. It is the idea, the illusion that everything's fine. You're doing well and things are getting better. But that's not the case. Not for the majority of people anyway. And so on this game of Monopoly, there's no social mobility. And that is the recipe for disaster. That's exactly taking it back. This realization that there's no social mobility is the very foundation for revolution that was happening during Trump, Brexit, the yellow vests, the uprisings in the Middle East. And it's what's going to continue to happen. There's zero social mobility for the average person. Zero social mobility for the average person. And the idea that people are out trying to present a reality that is false. That's what's driving the consumer demand. And that's why we see, in my opinion, in my opinion, that's why we see these crises. It's better for the people in positions of authority to have false crisis after false crisis after false crisis than it is revolution. And if you take a moment, do this. Just go back and look at the pictures of the people in France that were protesting in the streets that failed to let the government do anything because they were upset. Think about the riots that were happening. Think about QAnon. Think about all the craziness that was happening before the governments and the corporations got together and started locking people in their homes. We are under an aggressive fear campaign by a handful of governments and a handful of corporations that want to privatize the world under the guise of making the world better for everyone. That's never going to happen. What's really going on is the same people that wanted globalization, the same people that were hell-bent on privatizing the resources for power and profits have decided to strong-arm everybody. Rather than do what's right, for their country, for their people. They hide behind the illusion of climate change and global warming and kumbaya and all these things that are utter bullshit. Not that those events are bullshit, but the way these people, and when I say these people, it's the insurance companies, it's the banks, it's the multinational corporations, it is the relationships between people like Gavin Newsom and the power companies. It's the relationship between the CDC, the WHO, all these world organizations trying to wrap their hands around the throat of the economy. Let's take a look at what Jay Powell's doing. Here's our, here's our Federal Reserve. And let's, let's be clear. The Federal Reserve is neither federal nor is it a reserve. These people print money. Let's, let's take a look what's happening. So the Federal Reserve will loan at 0%. They will loan the big banks billions of dollars. Right? They'll just give it to them. Here, oh, you guys are short on collateral? Here's $5 billion. I'm going to give it to you. 
Okay, now you give it back to me and I'll pay you interest on it. Think about that for a minute. Here's our Federal Reserve giving billions of dollars to corrupt, unethical, horrible pieces of fucking shit that care nothing about people. This is Jerome Powell and every single person at the Fed. These people, in my opinion, are domestic terrorists. They take all this money that belongs to the American people, they give it to their friends on Wall Street for free. They just give it to them. Then the people on Wall Street give it back to the Fed, and the Fed pays them interest on it. What's 0.8% of $5 billion? And they do it to it every night, the overnight lending rate. And yet, if you make a mistake on filling out your taxes, you get threatened by the IRS. Like, this is the world's biggest scam. And quite honestly, I, people say you should be leery about tearing things down without building stuff back. I think we're better off. I think we're better off if the entire thing falls. And it would be painful. But you can rest assured that it's not go like you can rest assured that the criminals on Wall Street, the criminals in our government, the criminals that are the Fortune 500 companies, they do not care one bit about their employees. They see their employees as numbers. They see citizens as numbers. They see anyone less than anyone in DC. If you're not in DC, then you are subhuman to all of these people. Ask yourself this why does your state senator why, maybe not your state senator. Why does your, the federal senators and the congressmen, why do they take their families to D.C.? Don't you think maybe their families should stay in the very state which they claim to represent? Why do you think that is? Why do you think this group of people is above the law? Why is there no equal justice under the law? Doesn't it seem odd to you guys that there's terrorist attacks happening in Berlin. People are driving vans into people. There's shooters in the United States that are always attacking schools. Like, is that, isn't that an odd coincidence that there's always a young man who is a little bit mentally unstable, who is attacking public schools where there's already been a drill? Does that not seem odd to anybody else? Like there's a total pattern there. And if you have your ear to the ground, I don't know if it's true or not, but if you have your ear to the ground, you can hear at least rumors that the majority of these shooters have a handler. We talk a lot about guns. We talk a lot about mental illness, but we never talk about what did the shooters say when they were questioned. What happened in Texas? Why did all the police officers stand around like a bunch of little bitches? Those people should all be fired. Every sing If you are a police officer in the part of Texas, you should step down. You failed. You are a horrible American. You let children die because you're too much of a pussy to do your job. There should be a huge investigation into that. Those men should all be ashamed of themselves. They should all be ashamed of themselves. But that's what I see. That's why I see this crash of the economic system. And I see this being the 
foundation for all the craziness that has happened in the last few years and that will continue to happen. Disaster capitalism, moving from one crisis to crisis to crisis to crisis, is much more effective than having groups of people be together and threaten the rule of those in power. That's what I got for today, ladies and gentlemen. I know we got kind of deep on there, but that's what's going on in my mind. It's a little crazy out there. And I wanted to point out some things that I think are, I, I don't think they're coincidence, right? A coincidence is what you get when you apply a bad theory. Well, that's what we got for today, ladies and gentlemen. Hope your day goes well. Let's get up and get out on the Hello, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, 
circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true, but you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.